Welcome back, friends. You're listening to Parenting for the Culture, and I am your host, Cherie Sims. Happy New Year. I don't know if we're still saying that, but we've had a couple of New Years, so I'm still saying Happy New Year. Again, I am Cherie Sims, the host of Parenting for the Culture. I am a mama to six beautiful heavens. I wrote it down so I could tell y'all their ages, but if you ask me on the street, I'm not ever going to get their ages right because there's too many of them. But I have a new teenager. She turned 13 at the beginning of January, so that is new for me, and I will be talking about that on this podcast. I have an 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 7-year-old, and twin 4-year-olds, and we have five girls and one boy. The boy came with the girl. That's the 4-year-old. And he, for some reason, thinks that he is getting a baby brother somewhere along the way. It's not happening. So if y'all have a baby somewhere, a baby boy, and you want to come bring him to hang out with Daniel so Daniel can feel like he's somebody's big brother, hit me up. because he is not getting a baby brother from over here. I am also an early educator and an educator. I teach ages preschool through middle school. And I am this year's PBS Early Learning Champion and very proud to partner with PBS in early education support and parent support. So as always, I love to start my episodes with the peak and pit of my day. The peak and pit is something that I actually do at home with my own family around the dinner table, sometimes in the car, depending on time. And it's just how we connect with one another. It's an easy and fun way to share our days and kind of bring about topics, situations, thoughts, things that happen during the day that maybe wouldn't otherwise come up. So today, the peak of my day, which is the best part of my day, is watching my children play together. My three littles came home. They're still into all of their new holiday gifts. And I love when there's no argument about whether or not they can watch the TV. And I love when there's no pull to get them off the screen. I just love when they want to go play. I love listening to them be creative and play together. I love watching them problem solve when they play and hearing what they come up with. So that's truly the peak of my day. I'll also say that after the holidays, we had so many toys in our home. It was driving me absolutely insane. So I went through the house and I got rid of bags and bags. I mean, my husband has a pickup truck. I literally filled the entire pickup truck with giant lawn trash bags, like those black trash bags that you put the leaves in with the orange tie. I filled those with clothes, with toys, with knickknacks and things, and I threw them in the truck so that I could reorganize our house. And that has also brought about more play for my children because now my children can actually see all of their toys, they can get to them, they can clean them better. So that's all been wonderful. And the pit of my day, I've shared this several times, y'all I live in Los Angeles, the pit of my day is most likely always gonna be LA traffic. You don't want these freeways. (laughs) There's like no way that you can go to get to your destination quickly. My dad actually recently told me that we don't even have the most congested freeways in America, which is insane to me. If I was on a more congested freeway, I would quit. I'm not going anywhere. We are officially homeschooling everybody and working from home. That's the only way we're doing it. These roads are insane. So I hope everybody else is doing well. I hope you guys have had a great new year, great holiday season, great transition back to school, which I know can be hard. And You know, one experience for me is three weeks home with the children. Two of those weeks, my husband Hiram was home because he was also off from work. And we got COVID the first week of the three weeks. So we were pretty much locked in the house. Why do I share that? (laughs) Because all of the things that parents probably fear about parenting, all of the things that we could complain about parenting, siblings arguing, children talking about I'm bored, sick children that have fevers and are cranky as hell, children 
being up under you 24 seven, asking you every kind of question, being on your laptops, trying to take your phones, hiding your stuff, losing your keys, all that stuff was three weeks for us of the holiday season. And in those three weeks, I got a closer look at being able to watch my husband parent more hands on, you know, (laughs) a lot of times we're definitely the family where like, I am the primary caregiver to our children. I'm the one that takes them to school and picks them up. And my husband kind of supports here and there and he deals with the finances and all of that. This time he was home all day, every day with the kids. And I watched him get frustrated with the kids as well. And so over the break, we had a lot of conversations kind of about parenting, which is interesting to me because I'm someone who hosts workshop for parents and has parents come up to me and ask me questions. But when it comes to me and my husband, we really don't talk that much about parenting or strategies or techniques or understandings. So a lot of the things that I do in the parenting world with other parents, I don't actually do with my husband. And doing them for the first time with my husband made me realize that I have to break it down more, right? Like I'm at a space where I have all this understanding of child development and I've been practicing these tools and I believe in the philosophy and I know why it works and how it's good. And I'm basically feeding my husband steak when he needs milk. And I don't mean that as an insult, right? I'm not trying to say that my husband's a baby, not like that. Just don't yell at children. That's not good. Here's how you can do it. And he's over here thinking, why should I not yell at children when I yell, they stop the behavior, right? So then I have to take it back to like, well, here's what yelling does and how it affects a child. And he's like, yeah, but no, they're stopping and I'm frustrated with them. And so I wanted to start back at the very basics with all of you here at the Parenting for the Culture community, because I recognize one other thing that happened over the break was I had a conversation with one of my good friends and she expressed the same sentiment to me. She was like, I know about gentle parenting. I understand gentle parenting. I know that I shouldn't do certain things, but I don't know what else I'm supposed to do. I don't know how I can feel differently We parented a certain way with our oldest child, and now we're trying something different with this child, but it's just not really working, and there's a gap between what I want to do, what I feel like doing, and what I know I should or shouldn't do. So I want to kind of fill those gaps, and one of the ways for me to fill those gaps is that I came up with these pillars, and I call it Pillars for Peaceful Parenting. Now, don't be fooled by the name because parenting can be more peaceful and at times it can be peaceful. But unless you are Mary or Jesus or some other deity, I just don't think you're going to experience parenting in a way where you are experiencing peace 24-7. I don't care how many books you've read, how many webinars you've watched. I don't care how many years, cough, cough, talking about me. You've been a teacher and had the practice implementing the tools. It's still life and parenting has got to be one of the hardest jobs in the world. So these pillars help to make it more peaceful and more peaceful more often. And the pillars are that. I tried to make it easy to remember. They spell out peaceful. So we've got eight pillars. Today, we're going to go through the first two pillars. And each week, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the next pillars to take us through peaceful parenting so that hopefully all of us can have a little more of a foundation for understanding of 
why and how we can use gentle parenting or conscious parenting. And for those of us who want to be committed to it, it'll be a little bit easier to be committed to it because we're not just doing something that somebody told us blindly because it's trendy right now and because Instagram said so, right? We'll have a little better of an understanding and a little better of like adopting the actual foundations that allow us to do it so that it feels natural. So the first pillar is P for perception. It's funny because right before I started recording this podcast, our producer, Crystal Hill, who's one of the most amazing humans I know, she was telling me that for some reason, a lot of people think that I'm a single mom. (laughs) Let me clear that up. I am not a single mom. I am married going on 14 years. All six of my children are with the same man, Hiram Charles Sims. That's my husband. And what's interesting to me, though, is that people are actually asking, like, is she a single mom? Where's the dad? It's for a reason. And I think it has to do with the reason of perception. I've heard my husband do this before. My husband and I are in marriage counseling, have been for years. I recommend it for anybody that's married, anybody that's about to get married. But he'll always ask the question of like, is that counselor married also? Is that counselor black? Is that counselor Christian? There are certain things that you want to know about somebody because it literally changes your perception. If I am a single parent and you are a single mom, it's possible that you want to know whether or not I'm a single parent as well, because you want to know, is she giving these tools and do they work for a single parent or is she giving these tools and they're easy for her because she has a second person at home? Now, I don't know why you're asking these questions, but it does lend to how you perceive me and then how you perceive the information that you're getting about me. And I've noticed that a lot of parenting and a lot of how I deal with my children really has to do with perception. And a lot of how my husband might deal with my children has to do with his perception of children. And when I talk about perception, I'm talking about a belief system. What is your belief system about your children? And not just about your children, because if I was to sit with you and ask you, what do you believe about your children? Most likely you're going to tell me, I think my child is amazing. I think they're smart. So many of us will brag on our children and kind of give that disclaimer of like, I know I'm their parent, but they did this really well. That's not the perception that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the perception that you had even before you met your physical human child. What was your perception about children? Most people perceive children to be brats, to be spoiled, to be loud, to be manipulative, I hear that one so often, they're crying to get their way. They're throwing things to get their way. So when you have this perception of a child or of your child or children in general that is negative, most likely every experience past that is going to feel negative. When a child throws something, if your perception is they're throwing this to get their way, you're going to be irritated that that's how they're trying to get their way you're probably feeling upset because you're like, this fool thinks I'm stupid. (laughs) Like, this fool thinks I'm soft and that I'm just going to give in if they throw things or if they lie about something. This fool thinks that that I don't know they're lying to me. And so there's this perception of how we see the child makes us feel personally insulted, personally offended. We feel attacked by this tiny human And we feel mad because we feel like we are this big person who should be in control and we can't control this tiny human. And this tiny human is not only trying to control me, but they're trying to lie to me and manipulate me and tear up my stuff. 
And if that is the reality of parenting, like, of course, it's going to suck. I don't know why anybody would want to become a parent if the reality of parenting is that your children are always out to get you tear stuff up and break your home and break your heart (laughs) and like break your mind. Right. So for me, my perception of children is that they're good. Humans are good. They are good and they want to be great. And recently, the perception of understanding that children want to be great has really come into play in my own house in that my seven-year-old, when she's at school, she's in the gifted program. She's at the top of the class in reading, in math. She just soars above and beyond. She wants to be on time to school every day. She loves to do her homework. And she is an amazing scholar student. She will come home and she'll tell me, Mommy, Miss Lopez told the class today that I'm a model student, that I'm an exemplary student, that the children should look to me to see what what they should be doing. And there have been days that I've dropped her off and her classmates, who are seven, who it's so cute and so sweet, but her classmates have come up to me and said, are you Eden's mommy? I just want to let you know Eden is so smart and she's such a good student. She's really a leader and we look to see, you know, we look to her to see what we should be doing. And I think that's so beautiful. And because that's the perception that she has in the classroom, she upholds that perception. Now, when she gets home, she's got three older sisters. And naturally, her sisters are going to be a little irritated with her. She plays differently than a 13-year-old plays. She has different interests. She has very high energy. So she's like always moving. Things that she thinks is funny is annoying to other people. But at home, she hears a lot of, you're annoying, stop doing that, sit down, move over, don't touch me, stay out of my room. And when it comes to this notion of perception, and one of my favorite quotes when it comes to perception, I heard it from Jay Shetty, but he quoted a writer named Cooley, and it says, I'm not what I think I am. I'm not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. So here's my daughter at home in a space where she thinks We think she's bad. She thinks we think she's annoying. But at school, she's in a space where she thinks they think she's smart. She thinks they think she's amazing. And what happens is that at school, because remember, I said my perception of children is that I think they're good and I think they want to be great. So at school, she says, I want to be great at being a scholar and a leader. But at home, she's like, well, If I'm going to be bad, I'm going to be great at it. I'm going to be the greatest, baddest little sibling you've ever seen. But it really has to do with perception. And when I shared that perception with my 11-year-old, I said, you know what? I just think that she already thinks you guys think she's bad. And now she's like, well, if I'm going to be bad, I'm going to be good at it. And my 11-year-old said, hmm. And since we've had that conversation, my 11-year-old has actually been nicer to her. Because one thing that my 11-year-old said to me was like, well, that's sad. That's sad that she thinks that she's bad and now she's decided she's going to be good at being bad. But even that change in perception for my 11-year-old has allowed her to see her little sister differently. Now when her little sister is doing things that are, quote, bad, she doesn't necessarily see it as you're trying to get on my nerves. She sees it and she's like, oh, you're, you're feeling left out right now or something along those lines, right? So the perception of how we see our children really changes how we interact with them and how we experience things. Another example is that same (laughs) seven-year-old, 
I feel like so many of my stories on this show about, are about Eden. Let's just call it parenting for Eden. Parenting in the Garden of Eden. But anyways, me and my husband are sitting in my room and Eden comes in the room and she says, Mommy, Papa told me I was a jerk earlier. And then my husband goes, what? No, I didn't. You're lying. And she said, no, I'm not lying. And the two of them are going back and forth, right? I got a 39-year-old and a 7-year-old going back and forth. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. And so... I ask Eden to step out. I'm like, Eden, can you give me and Papa a moment? She goes out and I talk to my husband. And this is, again, where this idea of sharing perception with you all, it really came into play on this night, which was maybe a week ago or so. And I ask him, you know, what's going on? And he tells me, she's lying. I didn't call her a jerk. I would never say that. I wouldn't say that to my children. She's just saying that so that I get in trouble with you. And I'm like, first of all, I don't know what that looks like. Like, I don't know what trouble looks like. He's like, it looks just like this. Closing the door, getting a lecture, having a conversation. And I said, I don't think she's lying. Like, why would she lie to get you in trouble? And so anyways, we're going back and forth. And I'm going to fast forward through the conversation and kind of share with you that his perspective was, my seven-year-old is lying on me so that I will get in trouble with my wife. That makes me angry. And I need to put her in her place and show her that it's not okay to lie because I don't want to raise a liar. And those are bad characteristics to have. And we can't let her be a liar who manipulates people. My perception was, hmm, maybe there was something that was said and she heard I'm a jerk. Maybe you didn't use the word jerk. Maybe you didn't say that. Maybe that's just how it felt to her. That's happened so many times before. In classrooms, I've had teachers who are like, hey, let's use the calm down corner because we don't do timeout anymore. And then students go home and they're like, I was put on timeout today. Again, perception, right? We think we're doing one thing. They perceive something else. Perception is the meaning that we give to something. So I say to him, maybe you said something to her and maybe she felt like you were calling her a jerk. Maybe that's the word that she's using. So maybe, in fact, she's not a liar and... Now she's getting in trouble, but she was already hurt and offended. So he was like, no, I don't think that's it. (laughs) And I was like, it's possible. Are you open to it? Maybe he was like, no. And then I asked him, I'm like, well, which one would you rather believe that your child was potentially her feelings were hurt and she's actually just looking for support and like a confidence boost? Maybe she doesn't want to think that her parents think she's a jerk. Or would you rather believe that she's out to get you and wants you to be in trouble with mommy? And he's like, I'd rather believe number one, right? So even if I'm wrong, maybe she was, maybe she's totally manipulative and she's out to get him and she wants to get him in trouble. For me personally, to experience peaceful parenting, I prefer the perspective that maybe there was a miscommunication, my child's feelings were hurt, and she has a need that's unmet. And what happens when I'm able to see it that way is that now rather than chastising her and yelling at her, I'm able to sit down with her and talk with her and find out what really happens. And then she's able to say what it is she needs. If there's an apology somewhere in there, she's able to give it. And in another episode, I would love to go in more on discipline, consequences, and punishments because there's so much research and evidence around it, right? And a a perspective that we have around discipline and punishment versus what actual research and data says. But when I give my child grace... And I got this term from Dr. Becky is giving your child the most generous interpretation that you can give them. When you can actually sit and check your perception of them and give them the most generous perception, 
you're most likely going to be able to address it in a way that still gets you to what you want, whether that be an apology or a reconciliation or better behavior, you're still going to get there. You're just able to get there with less yelling, less stress and anxiety in your own body. Like I'm not even talking about the child being upset, but just you experiencing in a way that feels better for you. I'm always going to pick the perspective that allows me to feel best and then figure out how to handle it and manage it so that everybody's needs are met. Now, my ability to do that has to in some way also do with pillar two, which is education. So we have P in peaceful for perception, and now we're moving into E in peaceful for education. My perception half the time is based on the education I have. So even though you are not an educator or a teacher, maybe you are, but if you're not, there are still ways that you can educate yourself so that you can have an accurate perception and realistic expectations of your children. Whether you go on Google and Google ages and stages, developmental ages and stages, you could do that right now. And it can show you different milestones that they should be hitting at certain times. Because I think what a lot of us do is we look to our neighbors, we look to our friends, and we compare our children to them. We look in the classroom and we compare our children to the children in the classroom. We look even at little things like reading, right? There's, I've had so many parents that are like, my child's reading, they're three years old. I'm so excited. I want you to make sure that they're reading books every day, every day. Give them more books, make them read, make them read to you. And that's great that they can read, but without education of knowing what developmentally your child should do, you completely miss the fact that that child is reading with zero comprehension. They just read you a whole Dr. Seuss book and when you asked them what it, what it was about, they couldn't tell you. Then on the flip side, I've had parents who say, you know, he's five already and he's not reading anything and I'm so worried he's not reading. How do we get him reading? But when you look at the world and you read and realize that between zero and eight years old, the average child worldwide does not learn to read until they're eight years old. Doesn't that make you feel a little bit better about your five-year-old who's not yet reading? Like, okay, we have a little more time. When the research says it doesn't matter if they read at three years old or eight years old, by high school and college, they can still be doing equally the same, if not better. The one who's reading at eight could possibly be doing better than the one who's reading at three. Like the period of time in which they read statistically is not an indicator of how successful they'll be in school or in life. So when we hear these things, when we find the education about them, it helps one, change our perspective, and two, it eases our fears and our worries and our anxieties and changes the way we approach the situation. Another example is one that I heard when I had a daycare was they're not walking yet. Should they be walking yet? Their cousins were walking at nine months. Their sister was walking at 10 months. And that's another thing, like we don't only compare to friends, we compare to siblings. Now, if we educate ourselves, we realize how truly different every child is. So I'll just throw in there in case you have a child that's 13 months old and not walking and you're worried. Typically, it's like 16 to 18 months. That's the average age for walking. Yes, there are many children probably that you know that walk a lot earlier. But typically speaking, it's completely normal and developmentally appropriate if they're not walking until 16 or 18 months. So there are certain things that you can learn that can calm your fears, calm your worries. But you really have to step outside of just looking at the siblings, looking at the friends, looking at the church babies, like wherever you're looking at your people, this is not accurate. If you were to literally write it down, like, oh, I got 20 friends. I don't know what researcher is going to accept that data. 
Like, I think that this is normal because I saw 20 children do it. No, (laughs) you need hundreds and thousands of children to make that accurate, to make it more accurate, right? So actually do some of the research. And I mean, there's so many things you can do. One of the things that I encourage everybody to do, and this is because I had to do it two weeks ago, go online and look up mandated reporter certificate. Take the mandated reporter certificate. I don't care what you do, become a mandated reporter. You will be so surprised at the things you learn in that mandated reporting that you didn't know. You will also be shocked to find that things like isolating your child, that is legally considered a form of abuse. So when you are mad at your child and you tell them to go away and sit in their room, that's actually legally considered abusive. If you knew that that was abusive, you wouldn't do it. Because just like your child is a good child, you're a good mom. You're a good dad. None of the things that you do that may hurt your child, right? There are many people who are listening who have an older child and they did it differently. And now they're worried, oh, I messed up my child. I did this wrong. You didn't do it on purpose, right? You're a good parent doing the best you can with what you have. And if that's the perception that you have on yourself, you will also have more grace and love for yourself. So for today, I wanna start with those two pillars, perception and education, I love to give homework, so my homework for you is going to be in pillar perception. I want you to actually write down what you are aware of, because we talk about gentle parenting, but I'm also a big advocate for conscious parenting, and that's the practice of being conscious and in tune of your thoughts, where they came from, how they are steering the wheel and making the choices. So I want you to sit down and really take a moment to Think about your perception when it comes to children and where did that come from? And be as honest as you can. Sometimes this may just be even in the little jokes that you say. The second thing that I want you to do for education is I want you to write down whatever your biggest challenge is right now or your biggest question, your biggest worry, whatever that is right now. I want you to email those questions, those concerns, those challenges at podcasts with an S at blacklove.com. I want to get those questions so I can help educate you. In those questions, I also want you to tell me your child's age. So for instance, if your question is, my child is two years old and they keep hitting me in the face, is this normal? Send me that question. Let's talk about it. Let's get educated together. So that's your homework for this week. Again, I hope you all are having a happy new year. I hope that that really helped someone, several people. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. And don't forget to rate and review this podcast. And I will see you all next time for our next pillars for peaceful parenting. Peace, everybody.